How do you treat those that have stumbled in their walk? Do you look down on them or even turn to gossip at such times? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Love and grace is lived out among us in the family of God by our patience with one another, by our help with one another, firm but lovingly. Among us tonight, there are literally hundreds and thousands of weaknesses and sins and besetting sins and weights and difficulties and flesh just in this room alone, let alone among believers around the world. We're to be loving and patient with one another. So often we expect more from each other than even Jesus does. We expect more from ourselves than even Jesus does. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Well, you could probably go on for days reciting all your past failures and mistakes, and the enemy would love to use that to keep you down and discouraged. But as we'll learn today on Abounding Grace, the Lord wants to release you from that burden and help you rise above. God not only has the grace to cover those sins, but lead you to a victorious life as an overcomer. We'll hear a great example of this as we join Pastor Ed Taylor in 1 Kings 9. Among us tonight, there are literally hundreds and thousands of weaknesses and sins and besetting sins and weights and difficulties and flesh just in this room alone, let alone among believers around the world. We're to be loving and patient with one another, so often we expect more from each other than even Jesus does. We expect more from ourselves than even Jesus does. And we need to learn to walk in grace, trusting him for his empowerment to stay away from sin. But if we find ourselves have fallen, the Bible says, though a man falls seven times, what? He will rise again. Why will he rise again? Because of the faithfulness of God. Because when God remembers you, and when God remembers me, I hope he says, it's like David, my life would be like David, the integrity of my heart and the uprightness of my life. Not perfect. Not perfect. You could have been the person that cut me off today, and in your rearview mirror, you were just checking to see if I was mad, and you saw my face. I was mad. But in the whole scheme of things, I love Jesus. And I, I love the person that cut me off. I really wasn't in that much of a hurry to begin with. Listen, be careful, church, when you hear bad news about somebody. Be careful. Be careful when you read something on social media that got forwarded to you or got reposted or and you make up your mind on some dumb video or some sentence and you never pick up the phone to call the person and ask them for their side of the story. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the other end of that myself 
where somebody posted some dumb thing or some lie or some, I was just looking today, I was with somebody at lunch and I was going to send them the address to our church. So I pulled up my phone at the end there. I looked it up on, uh, on, one, on one of the maps and then I hit the click and then there's one of these sites where people can say nice things, but usually they don't say nice things. And I was just reading a couple of the not nice things that are just such not true about our church, but they were there. And anonymous, you know, write it all anonymous so that somebody could be a coward when they write something and they put it all up there and, and they get forwarded. And even if they do put their name on there, if you start posting negative stuff on Facebook, that's like passive aggressiveness. That's still cowardice. The Bible says that if your brother sinned against you, go to him, you and him. What's the next word? Alone. I didn't know Facebook qualified for being alone. Does it? You help me, Bible students. Does it qualify for being alone? No. So therefore it is sin. I don't care how you cut it. And it's a lack of integrity and a lack of uprightness. And those that participate in it? <laughs> Nobody wants to finish it for me. You're like, go ahead, what do you mean? It's sin. Be careful when you hear bad news. Be careful not to think the worst of someone because of a weakness or a failure in their lives. Let me show you an example of this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. David, you know, we, we look at David and immediately we're like, no, 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 he wasn't a man of integrity. No, he wasn't upright mind. Don't you remember? God says, you follow your dad, Solomon, because you're just as weak as your dad, but I'll tell you what I liked about your dad. I mean, can you imagine a conversation with God about your dad? I'll tell you what I like about your dad. I'll tell you what I like about your mom. She had a heart that was after me. That's what I, could you, man, God came to you in a dream and said, let me tell you about your husband. He loves me. Let me tell you about your kids. They love me. And then you're immediately, no, you don't understand where we're going, no. You, hey, just, just, let me tell you something. Your kids love me and I love them. And what a great thing this must have been for Solomon because he grew up with his dad, so he knew everything about him. He heard all the fights or all the things that went, all the multiple wives, he knew it all. And yet God says, no, man, you, you, you follow your dad. Follow him this way, the integrity of his heart. Don't do what he did. Don't, don't make the same. Follow him, integrity of his heart, upright in his life. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Be careful when you hear bad news. Be careful when you hear gossip. Be careful when, I mean, in, in this case, this is true with Noah. Pick up with me in verse 18. This is a true bad situation. I, I think after you read it, if you're not familiar with it, you'd agree this is bad. This is bad. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the, the whole earth was populated. Verse 20, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Verse 21, And he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Let me just say this before I get to the bulk of the book of this section. Nothing good comes from getting drunk. Just write it down. Nothing good comes from getting high, eating brownies, nothing good. Nothing good comes from the bar scene, nothing good. And definitely we know, if you're not familiar with this passage of scripture, you just know whatever's coming next is not going to be good. Planted a vineyard, became drunk, and it says he became uncovered in his tent. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can write next to uncovered in his tent, naked. Verse 22. 
Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both on their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Be careful when you hear bad news. Be careful not to think of the worst of someone. Noah becomes drunk and naked in his tent. The man that we know of in the scriptures that found grace, who lived obediently, who walked with God, the man who the Bible says was righteous, blameless, and a preacher of righteousness, stumbles and falls. Why? Because he was frail and we all falter. This is the first mention of wine in the scriptures. And notice it's in connection with a man and it's associated with drunkenness. There's a close relationship, church, between intoxication and iniquity. And there's a close relationship between drunkenness and debauchery. He becomes naked. From the Hebrew word here, there's an implication of this uncovering, this nakedness, and that is that it was twisted and perverse in some way. That he was somehow flaunting his nakedness or doing something weird in his tent that was drawing attention to the fact that he was drunk and out of control. Now, when a person begins to lose her, his or her normal faculties through alcohol and drugs, all inhibitions and restraint go out the door. And that's what we see here. What does drinking do exactly? Well, drinking is, is classified in our culture and, and in, with professionals. It's classified as a drug. And the classification within drugs, it's, within, it's in the category of depressants. Alcohol is a depressant. Not, not just in making a person depressed, but also in depressing or suppressing the understanding of right and wrong. It makes a person dumb, as I know for many, many, many years in my life. I know that firsthand. I don't need to read it in a book. My wife knows that firsthand. My parents know that firsthand. All of the police officers in the small community I grew up with, they know it. The people I went to high school, I could go on and on with people. They don't, we don't need to read it in a book. It's true. Any officer that serves here in Aurora or Denver, they can tell you most of the problems they have after, are after dark and drunk or high people. It's just the way it is. It depresses or suppresses the moral inhibitions that God has given to us, even within our conscience, let alone depressing and quenching and taking away the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, believer. It takes away, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit when you are drunk with wine and not filled with the Holy Spirit. And Noah here is, well, you know, I'm going to be a farmer, and I'm going to drink of my wine, and I didn't know how much I could take, and he drank and become naked and drunk, doing vile and nasty things. And as Noah lays passed out, Ham comes in. It says in verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two other brothers. The idea of that word saw literally means gazed or to look intently and that has an, also a connotation of perversity in his life looking at his dad. I believe Ham was happy his father was out of it. It appears that Ham has a rebellious nature about him that was inflamed by the moral lapse of his father and he quickly went outside to tell his brothers. The sin of Ham is that he saw, rebelled, and told everybody. And as he goes out, it says... He tells his brothers in verse 23, Shem and Ham, they took a garment and they laid it both on their shoulders and went in backward 
covering the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. They weren't interested in exploiting their dad. And they didn't want to see that. They didn't want anything to do with it. They respected their father even in the midst of his failure. And Shem and Japheth wanted to cover it up and help their helpless dad. That was a good thing. And I just have to say this before we finish the rest of the chapter. Because we're focusing on David here, the, the integrity of his heart and the uprightness of his, uh, uh, of the integrity of his life, his uprightness of his heart, uh, that, that he's not remembered for his sin. Just like I don't think, um, I don't think Rahab is going to be Rahab the harlot in heaven. Don't be asking for Rahab the harlot in heaven. If you want to, when you make it to heaven and you're looking to meet people and you're thinking, well, maybe Rahab's line is not as long as David's or not as long. When you cry out, where's Rahab the harlot? I think some angel's going to come and smack you in the back of the head. Shh, there's no harlots in heaven. If you're looking for Rahab the sister, if you're looking for Rahab the redeemed, if you're looking for Rahab the, re- the forgiven, I'll tell you where she's at. But there's no Rahab the harlot in heaven. Why? Because she was saved and changed. And just like we experience in the new covenant, she's a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So here's Noah drunk, and his son Ham exposes. He sees. He tells. He he makes sure everybody knows of the failure. And I have to say this, and I say this to us, and I say this to anyone listening in. You might be listening in on Texas or in Hawaii right now. You might be listening in in New Jersey or Baltimore, wherever you might be listening in. There are many hams in the church today. And may the Lord convict you if you are one of them. You go, Ed, what do you mean, hams? Well, there are many men and women that like to gaze upon the sins of others and make sure that everybody knows about them. Instead of keeping it to themselves and helping, they go out and begin to gossip. And they take some cruel pleasure in their hearts when a brother or a sister falls. It's pride. It's pride. To see someone fall kind of makes you feel a little bit better about yourself and, and you even get to the place where some people fall in sin and you're like, I knew it was going to happen. Really? You're God? You knew it was going to happen? If you knew it was going to happen, why didn't you warn the brother? If you knew it was going to happen, why didn't you call him up? If you knew it was going to happen, why weren't you praying for them every single day and say, man, when you find that they're falling, you're on your knees going, I've been praying for them, Lord. Please don't let them be utterly destroyed. Please don't let them completely lose everything. Please, Lord, instead of, I knew it, I knew it. What do you think? I, what do you think? What do you think? Who cares what you think? What does God think? Who really cares what you and I think? It's what God thinks. Don't be a ham in a very literal sense, but rather choose to be like Japheth and Shem. Doesn't even want to see it. Doesn't even want that image in their minds. Doesn't even want all the details. Doesn't want to know. Just wants to love. Let's cover our dad up, man. He's messed up. No doubt about it. Dad's got some explaining to do. When he sobers up, we're going to have to have a talk with him. When he sobers up, it's just, this is not good. This is, this is something that's, that needs some attention. But let's cover him up, bro. Let's make sure he's protected and cared for. First Kings 9, that's what God's doing with David right here. Once again, God becomes the model for us. That's exactly what he's doing with David. Solomon, I heard your prayer. Bless the temple and your palace. I want you to follow your dad. I want you to follow your dad in the integrity of his heart and the uprightness of his life. Well, the rest of the chapter really is There are some gifts exchanged in verses 10 through 14. 
verses 15 through 28 are some of the achievements and some of the other things that Solomon builds. Of special note, uh, let me get there with you. A special note, if you're going to Israel with us, um, there's a great little comment here where he talks about the, the building of Solomon, where he says all the storage cities. Well, go ahead and go to verse... Um, why don't we just read from verse 10? Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, that Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. King Solomon then gave Hiram uh, 20 cities in the land of Galilee, but Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these that you've given me? And he called them land of Cabal. Good for nothing is another word for that, as they are this day. And Hiram sent king 120 talents of gold. And this section is a little inside of the business side of things. Solomon is a king. Not everything's hyper-spiritual here. Solomon's a king running a kingdom. Uh, he has to have right relationships with Hiram uh, and the nations around him. You know, we think that everything has to be so hyper-spiritual all the time and everything has to be couched in spirit. But there, there's a pragmatic, there's a pragmatic common sense. We like to call it sanctified common sense in life. Uh, there's just some things you don't need to pray about. There's just some things you don't need to pray about. Lord, I'm so hungry right now, and i got 20 bucks in my pocket, but I still want to steal this candy bar. What do you think, Lord? Should I steal this candy bar? You don't need to pray about that. It's pretty common sense. Buy the candy bar. And while you buy one, buy a second one for the guy that you know is going to be asking for money on 225 and Parker. Like, that's what the Lord's going to tell you. He's going to know, buy the whole box and give it to the kids on Colfax and Jesus. I mean, that's what's God going to do. But if you pray about, well, should I steal? What is that? I'll tell you right now the answer from heaven. No. <laughs> God is faithful. And then verse 15, it says, and this is the reason for the labor force, which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo. And, the, and here's what I wanted you to see in verse 15. The wall of Jerusalem, Hazar, and Megiddo. So you go to Israel with us, we're going to visit this area of Megiddo. Our guide is going to point out to you exactly where the horse stalls were that Solomon built. It's pretty cool. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire. The Canaanites who dwell in the city, Solomon built Gezer, lower Beth Horan, Belah, Tadmor in the wilderness, the land of Judah. All the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry. Cavalry. So Megiddo is one of those cities, and we're going to visit it. It's still there to this day. It's, on, it's still um, being excavated. There's still much to be excavated there, but we'll take you there. And then from that vantage point, we'll have a little Bible study up on the hill, and you can look out on the valley of Megiddo, known as the Valley of Armageddon. And this is right here. You're reading it. You're studying it right now. First Kings chapter 9. All the storage cities. Verse 20. All the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites, who are not of the children of Israel. That was a little added one, guys. That is their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. But the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, his commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. Verse 24, but Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. These three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that she had built, Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. 
and he burned incense with them on the altar, and before the Lord, he finished the temple. So King Solomon built a fleet of ships, and King Hi then Hiram, verse 27, sent servants, seamen who knew the sea, to work with them, and they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So a little bit of the insight of how Solomon's building up his kingdom and being the king and leading uh, his kingdom. Next, our next study is going to be powerful as the Queen of Sheba comes after what she heard. It's a beautiful study that will be very relevant to us as a church and our church family. But for us today, I just really believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you, just like David, where all you can remember and it seems all your mind can contain and it seems like some of the people around you, that's all they want to mention and it seems like the enemy is accusing you day and night just like he does before the presence of the Father that you're only remembered by your failures and you just need to have a release of that. That's why God brought you today, to, to release you, to, to give you a release from the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and part of our series in First Kings with Pastor Ed Taylor. Well, Ed, as you closed, you were talking about those that may be burdened and weighed down as they're thinking they're only remembered by their failures. And as you said, God wants to release them of that. I can't help but think someone listening right now really needed to hear that. You know, it's an amazing thing, Larry, how quick God is to forgive us in Christ Jesus. And when we fail and we stumble, and God brings us to a place of repentance, you know, God is quick to forgive, and amen for that. But people, not so much at times. And because of that, many walk around with the weight of their failures on their shoulders because others haven't released them of that debt. And when we experience that personal failure, you know, it's good to know and to be reminded that it's a it's a, it's a part of our weakness, but that in Jesus Christ, love covers a multitude of sins. And I'm reminded that I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I'm a new Ed, and I have been for 27-plus years now. And fortunately, so many listening in to this broadcast, they don't know the old Ed. You've never met the old Ed, and, and you never will, because the old Ed has been buried and the new Ed is raised in Jesus Christ. And what's true for me is true for everyone listening in that's been born again. And I'm sorry that you're being identified by your failure. You know, sometimes the consequences of our sin will stay with us. Uh, and then people will kind of interpret us through those consequences, but not God. And God wants you to be released from the burden of your past failures and to be unshackled from the bondage of even the consequences from those failures, and to live in a true harmony with Him. Even if there are those that won't release you, God releases you. So trust Him. Trust Him in the newness of life. I like what Paul said. He, he, he spoke about forgetting that which was behind and pressing forward for what's up ahead. That's actually in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Brethren, I don't count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And so let's do that together, pressing toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To give this a second listen, all you need to do is call and request a CD copy. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Abounding grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's a book by Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn called Jesus Revolution. Some of you were alive to remember how God got a hold of an unlikely group of men and women in the 60s and 70s. You'll read the amazing story of the Jesus Movement, an amazing time of mass revival, renewal, and reconciliation. Can God do it again? You bet. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We'll pick up where we left off in 1 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 